used to take her 30, now it takes him 10. So he got it figured out, but unfortunately he's doing all the work now. But uh, amen, some of the ladies in the crowd, yes, <laughs> all right. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 today. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. <laughs> yeah, I, I try not to give my wife too much expert advice. She seems to be the expert to me. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. You ever been in the car with somebody and you're, you know, you know a better route, you feel like, you know, you could do a little better job and you start to say, hey, you know, watch that, you know, hey, we, we, we take a ride up here and uh, how are you going to get there? Why don't we get? And they say, do you want to drive? You, you ever been there? Yeah, I just thought I'd share that. But anyway, I wouldn't know what that's like. But anyway, <laughs> that's that efficiency expert thing coming out. See, you know, you got to be careful with that because before you know it, you'll be doing all the driving. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, a great passage today. If you're able to stand, let's stand in honor of the Word of God today. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. What a great passage it is. Simply said, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Read that one more time. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, that as we kick off this new series on biblical faith, As we examine biblical faith today, may you just bless us and may we leave here with something tangible in our hands and in our hearts. Father, help us, Lord, just to receive from you what you'd have us. May we, Father, humble ourselves and allow you, Father, to speak, to change our lives even, to reveal to us needs. Now, Father, we love you. We thank you for the privilege to be here. What a great and tremendous crowd that's gathered today for the express purpose of hearing from you in heaven. Lord, may that be indeed the case. Fill me with your spirit now. May I simply be your mouthpiece. Holy Ghost of God, drive home truth. And Father, may you help us to apply it accordingly. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, throughout the Bible, we are introduced to some amazing men and women, aren't we? We are introduced and made aware of some fantastic and miraculous events in history. I can't help but think about that Red Sea crossing. You know, Israel had been supernaturally delivered out of the hand of Pharaoh and out of Egypt. But after a change of mind, Pharaoh decides that he doesn't want to let the people go anymore. Matter of fact, he would rather or prefer that they be back in town and working once again for free as slaves. And so he relentlessly pursues them until finally they meet at the Red Sea. The stage, of course, is set for what appeared to be an epic showdown between Pharaoh and Moses. But to Pharaoh's chagrin, Moses would simply stand by and watch as God did the impossible. It wasn't a showdown between Pharaoh and Moses at all. It was a showdown between Pharaoh and God. 
And in Exodus chapter 14, verse 13 and 14, the Bible says, And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will shew to you this t- today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. Later on in that same chapter, verse 21 through 22, it says, And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea a dry land, and the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. I mean, what appeared to be an insurmountable obstacle became just something that God fixed in a moment. I mean, a supernatural miracle took place that day. And as we examine the Bible, as we consider faith, we see that God's people exhibiting faith saw God do miraculous things along the way. We think of that Assyrian defeat. Again, Assyria had already taken Israel captive. But now they turned their attention to Judah. Remember, um, Israel at one time was one nation, but after the death of Solomon... Uh, Jeroboam, Rehoboam uh, came on the scene and a split took place and Israel now became two separate nations. You, You had Judah and then you had Israel. And so nonetheless, they were both Israelites, but they were separated now, no longer one, but two nations. Israel had already gone into captivity under the Assyrians. And now Sennacherib and his armies approach Jerusalem and they're, I mean, intent on taking them captive as well, placing Judah in a a captivity also. And so Sennacherib, to intimidate the people of God, sends a couple of his um, messengers, if you will, and uh, begin to shout a message of gloom and doom to the people. In 2 Kings 18, we're introduced to that message in verse 29 and 30, when it says, Thus saith the king, Let not Hezekiah, the king of Judah, deceive you, for he shall not be able to deliver you out of his hand. Neither let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us, and this city shall not be delivered into the hand of the king of Assyria. So these guys get on around the wall and on the wall and say, Hey, hey, don't you believe what the king's telling you? Don't you believe what Hezekiah says? Our king says, we're going to destroy you. And there's no king and there is no God that's going to protect and save you. In 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 35, the Bible says, And it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred, fourscore, and five thousand When they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. 185,000 Assyrian troops dead. Not one bow drawn back. Not one sword wielded. Not one shield stood in protection. No, God did that. God did a miracle that day. We think of Peter being released from prison. Peter had obeyed God and he had, uh, I mean... He obeyed God and faithfully preached the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was just doing his job. He was just being obedient to the Lord. But as a result of his obedience, he had been threatened. He had been beaten. He had been cast into prison on a number of occasions. Now we find him chained and bound in the prison once again, waiting the worst of fates when suddenly God miraculously shows up to intervene. In Acts chapter 12, verse 5 through 7, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Prayer works, doesn't it? And when Herod would have brought him forth, 
The same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and the keepers before the door kept the prison. It looked bleak and there was no hope it seemed. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him and a light shined in the prison and he smote Peter on the side and raised him up saying, arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. I want you to know that Peter walked out of that prison, just walked right on out that day. That night, a miraculous thing, God working and moving. This morning, we begin that three-week series I told you about entitled Biblical Faith. And this morning's message, we're going to consider this one simple topic, examining biblical faith. Examining biblical faith. I want to examine it from three perspectives. I'm just going to look at three things. We're going to examine it real simply. And so we're not going to take a lot of time, but we do want to spend a little bit of time examining biblical faith. Number one, we want to consider the foundation of biblical faith. The foundation of biblical faith. The foundation of biblical faith is none other than the reality of God. That is the foundation of biblical faith. The reality of God. That He is real. That's the bottom line. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. Turn there if you would. I know it's an easy one to find and you probably have it memorized if you've read the Bible at least 50 times or more. <laughs> okay. I don't know why I said that. But anyway, Genesis 1.1. I, I know I need to read it from time to time. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. You know, they say that's a simple thing. That's no big deal. It's a real big deal. I mean, the whole Bible is predicated on the reality of God. I mean, the fact is, if there is no God, then there is no creation. And if there's no creation, then let me tell you, there is no Bible. And if there's no Bible, then there is no absolute truth. And if there's no absolute truth, then there's no wrong or right. And if there's no wrong or right, sin, if you will, then we're wasting our time today. Amen. We're wasting our money. We're wasting our, our years that we could be investing in things of the world and amassing amounts of materialism and maybe living a little more comfortably than sacrificing for building funds and faith promise missions and giving to the church according to the word of God. We've, we'd be throwing our money away. Be throwing our time away, sitting here on a Sunday morning. It could be relaxing, catching a little bit of extra sleep, maybe doing some work in the house. We could be spending some time, maybe uh, playing Monopoly with our kids. Any of you ever play Monopoly with your kids? Schedule your counseling times. We'll get that worked out. At least when we play Monopoly, it turns into that, it seems. These guys are cutthroat in my family. I'm glad I just try to play for fun. They get all serious about it, you know. Jeez. <laughs> when I was a kid, we used to play Monopoly as a family. And you would have thought that we was literally down in lower Manhattan. We were, I mean, really buying those places. I mean, it was, it was rough. My dad wouldn't let nobody, nobody ever won by him letting them win. 
You know, you had to beat my dad. You, none, of this, none of this, you know, well, you know, just let the kids win. No, the kids didn't just win. You beat my dad, you beat my dad. And so when I grew up, I wasn't anything but like him. So anyway, <laughs> you know, they had to learn. They had to win the hard way, you know. And so when my kids finally beat me at basketball about six months ago, Okay, maybe it was a little earlier than that. They actually had to beat me and every other thing, too. We've played a win around our house. But, I mean, if there's no God, then there's no real basis for biblical faith. The Bible says, again, that everything rises and falls, basically, on that one premise that God is. In Hebrews eleven six, our passage that we read, it said, But without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he that cometh to God must believe that He is must believe that He is. See, now faith can be directed to a number of different recipients. That's a reality. Uh, You can have faith without biblical faith. So, uh, you know, we can have faith in other gods, little g gods, just those that we elevate, we lift up, that are not gods at all, but that we, in our own mind, perspective, view as gods. We We can have faith in people. We can have faith in things. And, and those, those that are not all wrong even, okay? You ought to be able to have faith in some people. There ought to be people you trust and so forth. However, biblical faith is not just faith in something or someone. Biblical faith is rooted and grounded in the belief, in the understanding, in the reality that God is. Amen. So the question today then to us is, do you possess biblical faith? Do you believe that God is? As we examine biblical faith, we have to understand the foundation of biblical faith. And it is simply, and at its root and most basic premise, He is. God is. The reality of God. That is the foundation of biblical faith. Number two, we consider the function of biblical faith. We see the foundation or recognize it the reality of God. But now the function of biblical faith. We think of the function, the purpose, that kind of thing. Biblical faith provides us with a relationship with that God that we believe exists. Once we come to the reality of God, then it's then that biblical faith provides us the avenue by which to have a relationship with God and ultimately reliance upon Him. Again, our passage, but without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is. So for he that for he that cometh to God. See, biblical faith provides us with a relationship with God. It connects us with God. Biblical faith. And we need that kind of faith. The passage in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 is pretty clear. Before a person can come to God, then they must believe that He is. That's how simple it is. So, He is, and that's biblical faith, obviously, the foundation, provides us with the avenue by which we enter into a relationship with God. John chapter 1 verse 12 says, But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
Again, Ephesians chapter 2, 8, 9. For by grace through faith. That's how we're saved, he says. For by grace through faith are you saved. That's it. Grace through faith. Biblical faith. A faith that God is. And because we believe that He is, we now can enter into a relationship with the one we now believe in. It's not complicated, but sometimes we can kind of get things out of, out of whack. Because see, if we're not careful, we do find ourselves having faith other than biblical. We have faith in so many others, so many things. And sometimes we, we don't understand that, that that faith, if given to someone or something else, will take us away from the very one we ought to be giving it to to begin with. So God deserves our total reliance and dependence. But the fact is, is that we have to believe He is. That's the foundation. Then again, the function to ultimately provide us an avenue by which we can have a relationship. That's really what God wants from you today. He wants a relationship with you. He wants you to exercise biblical faith. He wants you to say, God, I believe that you are, that you exist, that you are there. Now, most of the time, young people and and children and young people, a lot of times they go through a period of their life early on where faith is simple, right? I mean, you've got to believe like a child, the Bible says. So they'll make a decision for Christ early on. They, they understand, I've heard that without Jesus, I, I, I'm going to, uh, not, my sin won't be forgiven. Without Jesus, I'll not make it to heaven. And I, I, wanna, I want my sin forgiven. I, I want to go to heaven. I want to be in God's family. And so they just simply trust the Lord. I trust the Lord. I, I ask Christ into my life. I want the Lord to be my Savior. I believe that God is, and I want the Lord Jesus in my life. And they make those decisions. And then it seems sometimes, not always, but from time to time, it seems that those young people then, or those kids turn into young people. And as young people, maybe sometimes early, sometimes later, especially if not by then, at least by the time they're in their 20s, early 20s, they start to ask these questions again. They start to say to themselves often, is there really a God? Does He exist? Those questions get asked. And unfortunately today, we're not real honest with ourselves sometimes in those areas. You know, we may, there may be those in the room today that have thought those thoughts. When difficult times come into your life or troubles find you, uh, or, or possibly you, you've made a decision and you've kind of slidden back from that decision or you've failed to follow the Lord as you, so, as you, as you had originally intended. And from time to time, the world has inundated you and it has saturated you with its, its anti-God philosophies. And you start to believe, maybe even buy into this idea that maybe there is another solution or answer other than God. Biblical faith does not exist without the foundation. And that is simply He is. And there is no other purpose. The, the real purpose for, for, that, for that biblical faith is a relationship with God. If you believe that God is today and you're convinced of that, then you have no other greater pursuit in life than the relationship that you ought to have with Him. That is the reality of the Christian life. That's the reality of the Word of God. That is the reality of, of life in general. That we come to the reality of God and that the purpose of this faith that God has permitted us to to, to possess and to express is simply to have a relationship with Him. It's not so that we can go to church and that we can raise our kids 
so that they can be good kids and obey us. And that's not the real purpose of it in and of itself. That is a byproduct. But the, the purpose isn't just so that you can come here and fund the ministry. The purpose isn't just so that you can have something to do on Sunday morning, Sunday night and Wednesday night and throughout the week and have good friends and not bad friends. And that's not what God exists for. The foundation of biblical faith is that he is the reality of God. But then it makes your responsibility and mine one reason, one thing only, and that's a relationship with him. That is the issue. That's all God is concerned about today. Above everything and anything else, a relationship with you. That's the function of biblical faith. But finally, the fruit of biblical faith. The fruit of biblical faith. Again, we've noted and expressed this aspect of the foundation of biblical faith, the reality of God, He is. The function of biblical faith, which provides us with a relationship with God. And finally, three, the fruit of biblical faith, which is nothing less than rest. Rest. It's rest. Someone says, well, wait a second, there's a lot of other fruit. You've already said the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, faith, is meek, temperance, skin, such there's no law. I understand that. But you know what all those bring to my life? Rest. Amen. Hebrews eleven six, But without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he that cometh to God must believe that He is. There's two parts. We got the He is, the reality of God. We got the relationship with God, must come to God. Cometh to God, so you have to have that foundation, and then we have the function, and now we have the fruit, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. He's a rewarder. What's the reward? Rest. See, once we believe in the reality of God and have entered into a relationship with God, we can now experience the fruit of biblical faith, which is none other than rest. Matthew chapter 11, turn there very quickly, verse 28. Matthew 11, verse 28. Again, a familiar passage, but you know, sometimes we try to outsmart ourselves. Sometimes we try to find something new when in reality the old still works pretty good. Notice what the Bible says in the book of Matthew. It's the Lord Jesus Christ speaking, of course. He says in chapter 11 of Matthew, verse 28 through 30, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Now, what does that look like? That's somebody that's probably pretty stressed out. That's somebody that's pretty burdened down with life, pretty burdened down with responsibility. You know, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. Listen, there's not one of us that ought not to be laboring. Not one of us that shouldn't be striving and working toward uh, the right things in life, trying to accomplish the right things in life and, and using our energies to bring about good in our culture, our society, our families, even our church and ministries, all of those things. But he recognizes that fact that everybody, virtually everyone, is going to have to say, I am stressed out. I am feeling pressure on my shoulders. I feel the weight of the world at times weighing on me. And the Lord Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. He just took a a big brush and, and, and covered the world with it. Everybody needed to hear that message. And he says, And I will give you, what's he say? Rest. Isn't that something? He didn't say money, he didn't say fame. He didn't say position, authority. 
said, I'll give you rest. Because you know what the laborer, you know what that one that's burdened down with life needs more than anything else in the world is rest. The foundation of biblical faith is the reality of God. He is. The function of biblical faith provides us with the opportunity to have a relationship with God. And that relationship with God provides us a fruit. And that fruit is none other than rest. Notice again in the passage, he simply says in that first verse, and I will give you rest. It's it's not going to be your wife that gives you rest. It's not going to be your husband directly that gives you rest. It's not going to be your children being good that gives you rest. Rest. Oh, those may again be byproducts of a life lived on behalf of God. But the reality is, is that all good things come down from the Father of light, with whom there's no variableness, no shadow of turning. Rest comes from the Lord alone. And so often we're seeking rest in the world. We're seeking rest in our own devices. We're seeking rest in our own philosophies, in our own understanding, in our own abilities. We're trying to find it. We're kicking, clawing, scratching, trying to find a little peace in life, a little rest in life. And all along it's rooted, it's grounded, it's found in biblical faith. Not just faith in others. Not just faith in an institution. Not just faith in a government. No, those things will fail us. But God will never fail us. Biblical faith. The person, while we continue reading, he goes on to say, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. You shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The person who believes that he is must then come unto him before finding rest. That's the reality. And there is no reality, where there's no reality of God, there's no relationship. And where there's no relationship, there's no rest. Watch the news. I mean, you watch the news and you're convinced that everyone is a liar, a cheat, and a thief. Everyone that knocks at your door is trying to rip you off. Everyone that smiles at you is playing a little bit of larceny. I mean, there's always something going on. I mean, we're introduced to the most horrific characters, crimes, and corruption that there possibly is. We're made to feel insecure, unsafe, and very vulnerable. Do you know what really the news does at times, at least to me, more than inform, I think it breeds fear. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't watch the news, stay up on current events. I think it's important as believers that we understand what's going on in our world, that we stay connected, we understand what's going on, basically have a general understanding of politics, I think. I think we need to understand politics. I think we need to understand policy. We need to understand uh, uh, our society, our culture. We need to have, be in touch with things. We don't have to be in the down and dirty, but we definitely need to have a general understanding of what's going on around us so that we can intelligently converse and deal with issues in the lives of others that God will call us to help and meet reach. But in reality, to me, it seems that the devil is always trying to get us to be fearful, to be afraid. And I don't know about you, but when you're afraid, it's hard to what? Rest. 
It's hard to rest. You ever been afraid? I mean, really scared? It's hard to rest. And even if you close your eyes, you're not resting in your mind. It's difficult to rest. David, the psalmist, is accredited with at least 73 of the 150 psalms. David understood all too well the complexities of life. And he understood the the potential for harm that prevails in the world in which we live. I mean, this David that we talk about, King David, the David that slew Goliath, this David was hunted by the king. His life was threatened daily. And yet he makes a statement in the book of Psalm, chapter 27, verse 1, that goes like this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Wow. Think about how we live our lives often. We're afraid that our, we're not going to be able to pay the bills at the end of the month. We're afraid that, that something horrible is going to happen to one of our children. We're fearful that our wife is going to have something horrible happen. We're afraid that we're going to end up with a, a, a doctor telling us we have cancer. We're afraid that we're going to find out some bad news about a family member or friend. We're so fearful that we might get in a car accident in the bad weather. We're so fearful that we live our lives in fear most often. If that's the case, then we're not resting. And all I'm saying today is, is this, that biblical faith is rooted... Its foundation is in the reality of God. God is. He is alive. He exists. He is on the throne. And the function of that biblical faith is a relationship with Him. It is our primary goal in life, or ought to be, to have a walk and a relationship with God in our integrity, in our greatest and most definite character. We should focus our attention on having a right relationship with the God of glory. And finally, his, that, that foundation and function turn to that wonderful fruit. Because when you believe there's a God in heaven, that He's on the throne, and that He does indeed have control of your life because you've yielded yourself to Him and given Him all of yourself, then there is a peace and a rest that comes knowing that He's in control. That's what the fruit of biblical faith is. According to a Greek legend, in ancient Athens, a man noticed uh, the great storyteller, Aesop, or Aesop, however you call him. What would you call him? Aesop's fables? Right. Starts with an A. Nobody knows how to spell these days. (laughs) Anyway, he was kind of laughing at Aesop. He was making fun of him. And uh, he's making fun of him because he was he's playing around with a bunch of kids. He was just having a good time playing some games with some little boys. And this particular Athenian, he kind of thought that was a little bit fun and well below Aesop, of course. And so he finally said, why in the world did you waste your time in such frivolous activity? And Aesop, Aesop responded by picking up a bow. And he loosened the strings and he placed it on the ground and... Then he turned to this particular man, this very critical Athenian, and he said, What does the unstrung bow imply? Well, the man looked at it for a number of moments, several minutes maybe, and scratched his head and said, You know, I have no idea. I have no idea what your point is. I 
for the life of me don't have a clue. And he didn't quite say it that way. But Esau explained, if you keep a bow always bent, it will break eventually. But if you let it go slack, it will be more fit for use when you want it. And you know, like that bow, you and I need to rest from time to time or we're going to break. We're going to snap. Or we'll just get simply bent out of shape. And then we won't be able to shoot straight. We won't be able to fly straight. We won't be able to function as we were created to function. True rest is not simply found in time off. This is a a truth that we as believers better understand and get a grasp on. Rest is not found in time off from work. That's not true rest. As I mentioned already, it seems to me that there is this diabolical plan to keep the people of God in upheaval constantly. To forever be concerned about daily needs and the routine of life and the particulars about safety and comfort and everything else. And yet, we can have all the time off we want. We can work only 20 hours a week and have the rest of the week to relax and to take it easy. But let me tell you, if our mind, our soul is not at rest, then we are not resting. True rest is not necessarily found on vacation. No, I've got to, I've got to get away. We need a vacation. And we've got to get some rest. You can go on vacation all you want and not rest. You know, I, I'm funny like this for a long time, and I'm not so much like this now. The last few years, the older I get, the less, I guess, life is really, you know what, everybody wants to pick on me now, I'm, old, I'm 50 years old or whatever, you know, I know I look like I'm 25, 28, 30, whatever, but the fact is, I mean, if I had some hair, I would look that way, but anyway, uh, the, the fact is, is that I used to be, I'd go to, stay at a hotel, and uh, I've stayed with a few of the guys, maybe from the staff or something, and we'd go to the hotel, and and we'd stay in a hotel for the night, and I'd take chairs and put them in front of the door. And I'd... Nobody ever thought to do that? I did. Hey, man, this is a valuable piece of merchandise right here. <laughs> I'm sticking the door in. I'm trying to wedge it in. You know, they show on TV that it never works, really. But I try to do it, you know, but it just slides right out, you know. So you're putting other things in there, trying to block the... Anyway, so... I'm trying to do all these things, right? I'm trying to protect myself. Why? Because down deep, what am I? There's a fear in me that somebody will break in my door, walk in. See, when I, I went away one time to a conference with my family and with, with another, with, with, I think it was Brother Keith and his family. We went to a conference down in, in uh, 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 Powell, Tennessee. And man, we got there. We was at the hotel, you know, and, and um, I, I, was, um, uh, I, I was getting tickets for, you know, the cards, the doors, you know, the room keys and all that stuff. And they had those room keys like that and stuff. And so I went and picked them up and I gave them to everybody and I had my room key and I walked over to, to the, the, the door and I stuck it in there and I opened the door and walked in and a lady doing, whoo, sat right up. A lady sat right up in bed. I mean, she was laying in bed. I walked right into her room. She sat right up in bed. She had one of those things on her face, you know, covering her eyes. She couldn't see anything. And before she could even take it off, I was like, sorry, wrong room. Shut the door and walked out. And I thought, that'll never happen to me, boy. Not only do I lock everything, but I put things in front of the door. (laughs) 
Now, again, I'm not quite as bad as I used to be. But, hey, listen, you know, I stay in that room at night. And before I go to bed, I'm thinking, oh, man, what if somebody breaks in? You know, I'm not really resting. I'm struggling to get, I'm, I'm thinking the bad thoughts. That my mind's turning. I'm not really resting. I'm on vacation or I'm away at a conference or I should, I'm away from the normal routine of life. But the problem is, is fear was still there. And you know, as a believer today, we've got to understand that true rest is not just found in time off. It's not necessarily found on vacation. True rest is when one enters into a relationship with the Lord and finds the rest he seeks, she seeks in his presence. Because there is no need to fear in His presence. There's no need to worry in His presence. Nobody died in the Bible when they were with the Lord. When we have a biblical faith, it provides us with confidence and comfort. And to know that God is not only our Father, but that He cares for us is an invaluable, valuable piece of information in this world we live. Isaiah 40, verse 31. Turn there, if you would, as we close. Isaiah 40, 31. Isaiah, Old Testament, toward the middle of the Bible. Chapter 40, verse 31. Now, a teaching moment. Young men... Guys, singles, all of you, or even older men, if you're going to use a verse in your message, if you're not going to just quote it, but you're expecting people to find it and look at it, give them a minute to find it. Don't just say the verse, say, turn your Bible to such and such, and then start ripping it. Give them a chance to find it. They, not all of them will find it. You could give them till tomorrow, no, but everybody would find it. But you at least give a few moments and make it look like you're being courteous at least. Okay? Now, here we go. Isaiah 40, verse 31. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. (laughs) Isn't that something? Somebody's in the presence of God here. And when we're in the presence of God, that's where we're renewed. That's where strength truly comes from. That's where rest comes takes place and then we're able to leave the presence of God so to speak and able to run and not be weary and walk and not faint God help us today to understand biblical biblical faith its foundation the reality of God he is its function provides us with a relationship with God that's what it's there for and finally the fruit of biblical faith is rest do you need rest today Now, if you're without Christ, you've never put your faith in the Lord, you desperately need Christ as your Lord and Savior. What that means is this, is that you face life alone, you face eternity on your own. That means that without trusting, receiving, or accepting Christ, without being, quote, saved, unquote, you're saying, I'm going to face life alone, I'm going to face eternity alone, and I'll take whatever comes. Let me tell you what comes. The Bible teaches that without faith, it's impossible to please Him, so you don't have the pleasant that God's pleased with you already. He's not pleased with you. Not only that, but you'll face eternity without an advocate or without someone standing beside saying, I paid the price for his sin, her sin. So you're going to stand alone before a holy God, you being unholy, and take 
the punishment for your sin alone. That's not something you want to do. So, you need to simply say, Lord, I know I don't deserve anything good. I'm a sinner. I know that I'm the one that put you on that cross. You died on the cross for sinners. I'm a sinner. So, I put you there. And I realize that it's not how good I am or how good I try to live my life. It's all about what you already did on that cross by shedding your blood and having your body broken on my behalf. Being buried in that old, that borrowed tomb and raising again the third day, you proved to me that you can defeat death. I'm on my way. I am on a crash course to hell, to dying spiritually, eternally. I want you to forgive my sin, and I'm trusting you to take my place. I want heaven, my home. Lord, save me, forgive me. That's the mentality of it all. It's all Him. See, biblical faith isn't about your church attendance. Biblical faith isn't about your financial giving. Biblical faith isn't about your ability to please God. Biblical faith is nothing less than God and God alone. And when we get to that place in our life where God is enough, then we'll be saved. Then we'll be safe. And then we'll also be secure at peace and at rest when He's enough. It all hinges on Him. Everything. Without faith it is impossible to please Him for he that cometh to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Do you believe that He is today? Have you come to Him as Lord? And are you experiencing His rest? Father, we come to You. We thank You again for the privilege that we have to gather here today and to be a part of the service. What a tremendous group that has made their way here to Community Baptist Temple to hear from You. And I believe, Father, that You speak to people through Your Spirit and obviously through the Word. You make that clear to us. Even now, Lord, do so. And Father, for the believer today,